0: Hey listeners, today's episode deals with topics of sexual assault and racism. We wanted to notify our listeners who may experience trauma related to these topics ahead of the episode and to let you know that resources are listed in the description. Thanks for listening. In this True Crime Law & Order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories.
1: Here we are. Hey. Hey, you. We took a little, little week off. Yeah, and you know what? I felt a lot of anxiety about taking it off, and I'm really, really glad we did. Yeah, me too. It was a big week. A lot happened. A lot of mm-hmm. emotions going up to the week, and you know, I think we all needed to just take a breath and enjoy the moments that we have right now. Yes, that's very uh lifetime movie of you. Everything I say is a very lifetime movie of me. Let's be real. That's fair. <laughs> What's new? What is new? Not a whole lot. We um we have a new president. Mm-hmm. That's new. yes. Well, we will soon, but yes, so we have a new, new president, president yes, and a female vice president, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. A lot of huge firsts in the world, so that's new in my life. Um, other than that, I would say not a whole lot of new things are going on. We started watching the Nexium uh documentary oh, on s- HBO.
0: Uh huh, I, ha- okay. I haven't watched it, I've heard about it, I'm unclear. In my mind, I'm conflating it with like all the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, but I don't think that that's accurate.
1: No, it's, I mean, it's, it lives in the same sort of world. It is okay. more like Scientology, Okay. I guess. It's more like that kind of thing. So yeah, I've seen a Dateline episode about it a long time ago. I think they cover it on a few true crime podcasts or podcasts that have to do with like lore and things like that because it's a... Mm or cult cult type things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And but I've never seen it this in depth. And the special on HBO, it's like, we're only on the third, third episode, I think it's called The Vow. And it's really good. I'm really impressed with the, the amount of like detail they're going into and the amount of emotional impact it's having. So very, very good. So that's, that's the newest sort of true crime thing that we're into. I want to recommend The Queen's Gambit. Which I don't, I don't know if you've watched it yet. I haven't watched it, but I just had someone recommend it to me at the dentist office this week. One of the, um, the dental tech said, have you heard of the Queen's Gambit? I've never heard of it. So tell me. Well, I
0: think it's like, it's a pretty new release on Netflix, but it's a Netflix original series and it's really, really good. And it's set in different, um, like time periods, kind of like it spans about 20 years. Okay. And I think, oh, gosh, Ooh, I want to say it's mainly set in the 60s and 70s. OK. And uh, just really, really well-written, uh, beautiful costuming. Any, you know, I, I said 60s and 70s, but I'm actually going to say late 60s, 70s and early 80s, because it does kind of deal with the Cold War, which I my my brain associates that with the 80s, but it could have started earlier.
1: If you're gonna um, look to me for any sort of confirmation huh? on dates and times <laughs> about historical events, let me tell you: uh, my knowledge of American or any other history is, you know, I know things happened and I know what they were, but you're gonna ask me names and dates. Uh, uh-uh. I'm so bad with dates. Um, always. I'm just not oh, a very okay, good numbers well, person. So here's the good news: Wikipedia
0: says that the Cold War spanned from 1947 to
1: 1991. So would you say that's I good guess news? I
0: was- technically correct regardless of what era this tv show actually happened
1: in did you just call the cold war good news i I said
0: good news about (laughs) here's the good Good, news the cold war lasted over a decade or however long (laughs) i guess the way i phrased that did sound here's the good news it lasted for 50 years delightful
1: um did you ever watch the americans no, but I, I've wanted to because I love Carrie Russell, and it, they always played the trailers for it during American Horror Story when I would watch things on the actual channel. So, have you seen it? Is it good? I have
0: seen it, and I just realized that Carrie Russell is the main character. I oh. did not recognize her at all when oh I was watching God. it. Yeah, she's great. Wow. I love her. I'm a big okay. fan of hers. She is starring opposite Matthew Reese from mm-hmm. Brothers and Sisters. which we both love big time and uh it's really it's that one's really good but what i will say about it is it's the kind of it's about the cold war and it's about two secret agents from russia from the kgb posing yeah yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. posing as uh americans and they it's one of those shows kind of like sons of anarchy where at least for me where if i didn't pay attention for like 20 or 30 minutes or maybe an episode if i was looking at my phone or distracted or something the next episode i'd be like um why are they killing these people
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is the Who perfect is type of show for a person like me because i am i want to see every detail in the show i'm watching type person so yeah. that is like tailor-made for me so i'm gonna check I feel out like I have like two modes of TV show. One is the one
0: where you have to be paying attention and watching it and it's really engrossing. And then the other ones where it's kind of on and it's happening and you're you're getting TV content, but you're not but it's not uh, it doesn't require a high level of attention. Mm.
1: There's not a lot that falls into that mode for me. There's a lot mm. that I think falls into that mode, and then all of a sudden I find myself rewinding. Every <laughs> That's how I feel about pretty much every Bravo show, is like, I can watch
0: Real Housewives and do at least one other thing at the same time. Yeah, yes. Let's start this podcast and maybe actually say who we are and where we are. And- hey, hey.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm Matt. And I'm N. And this is Rift from the Headlines. We That's right. We are a fact and fiction podcast that takes a look at... Law & Order episodes, we recap them for you in, (laughs) Uh, you'll see, and then we take a look at the true crime that actually inspired the episode. Uh, The person who is doing the true crime, uh, the other, let me rephrase that, the person who is going to be recapping the episode is not aware of the true crime, unless, you know, we guess it. So that is me this week. I am doing the episode and N. Any, uh, any, <laughs> any comments, teasers or thoughts about uh your true crime?
0: I'll say I'll say my thoughts when I before I started. OK, it. <laughs> OK.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that means that this week I'll be covering the episode. Are, are you ready Great. for this? I mean, I am. We watched it. So, I mean, get ready. It's a, I mean, I would if you're recapping it, I would hope that you watched it. You know, sometimes I just kind of like cliff notes that in it. <laughs> this was a uh a wild episode i'll just leave it at that it's a wild one lots of thoughts on it yes but i'll reserve them for the end because i'm i'm a little conflicted about it okay one good thing about this episode is there's a lot of guest stars i don't know if you recognized all of them but i imagine you get recognized at least one
0: probably
1: yeah so we open up to a woman walking her dog on the street, seemingly mm-hmm. in like a parking lot situation, and her dog starts pulling her towards a pile of trash. And when we- This is cup- now,
0: we're 11 episodes in, and this is now the second dog discovered a crime.
1: Exactly. Scruff McGruff-inspired Ex- episode. <gasps> you are stealing the words right out of my mouth? <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, yes. So the dog is peeling through this pile of trash, which- uh, when we uncover what the dog has got the dog's attention, there's a young looking woman lying in the trash with words written on her body in colored markers. And I wrote that this is the second time now we've seen a dog find a body. And I have to say, (laughs) when I take Neville out, our dog, and he goes anywhere near something that even resembles or smells like trash, I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, Get away from that. But in in Law & Order world, we just let our dogs like, uh, sniff in the middle of the woods and go deeper and deeper into a giant pile of garbage. Exactly. And now I'm yeah. wondering, though, maybe we're all wrong. And I wrote, maybe Neville is like a little Scruff McGruff, the crime maybe dog. He's a little crime dog, yeah. And I'm, I'm like
0: snubbing his little dreams. Neville would look really good with a a, a little a trench, trench and like a little hat, like he was Sherlock. Oh, you should dress him up as Sherlock for Halloween idea. next year.
1: He would look really good in like a little trench coat and. That little Sherlock hat. (gasps) Yes, because
0: he's so long, so a trench coat would be perfect. And he's the little...
1: Oh my God, I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to cry. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, world. You're not ready for it. So, in any event, we're now in the hospital, and Gloria Estefan's body double is in a cop (laughs) uniform telling Logan and (laughs) Grievy that the victim, Astria Astria Crawford, is 16 years old and has been pretty unresponsive so far. I need to interrupt for a moment to
0: say it's so funny that you said Gloria Estefan because last night when we were talking about Jennifer Lopez and her favorite songs one of the questions I almost asked you was do you like Gloria Estefan's music or J-Lo's music better <laughs>
1: oh Gloria Estefan yeah yeah, yeah. good oh choice. easy and it's funny because when we were talking about that last night I almost referenced uh come on shake your body baby do the conga what is that <laughs> rhythm's gonna get you <laughs> Yeah, that one. (laughs) Yeah, so it's very, she's very that. I don't know if you remember her or not. She doesn't have a big part, so I just left it at that, but it's a real, it's a choice look. Yeah. Very, very, very done up. It's a lot. She kind of, I I imagine, like, after they walk past her, she kind of, like, dances out. (laughs) 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 So we are, you know, back on the victim. Let's take it seriously. It's Astria Crawford, and as we heard, she's very unresponsive, and... They go in to see her, and among the phrases that are still visible on her body, it just has things like, and it's all different colored markers. It's kind of strange. Yes. It just has, like, sex, yeah. street meat, uh, the yeah. word whore is on her head. They're, like, wiping it off, so it's like, you know, they can get it on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only, like, halfway visible. Very clever. But it's it's just a little strange, and she doesn't want to even open her eyes, and she she seems pretty traumatized by whatever's happened, and the woman is... She's only answering it like, mm-mm, mm-hmm, like that. So, limited interaction here, and the nurse is kind of pushing her, and she eventually reveals through, you know, these random onomatopoeias that she knows who did this, but she can't say it. So, Logan asks her if she could write it down and hands her his pad, and when Greavy holds it up, from what I can tell from the handwriting, which looks like she was, like, holding the pen between her toes... It just yeah, says it's not great, not at all. It but says, she had her
0: eyes closed, and the nurse was holding the pad of paper. Oh,
1: you know what it looks like? It looks like when you're writing a title on something on a piece of paper, and then you realize you're running out of room, so you have to start writing the letters smaller and smaller, smaller at the end. and smaller. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. And she scrawls "white cops" on the paper, so yep. we know we are in for it.
0: Yes. And then the title what?
1: sequence begins.
0: Before the title sequence, I just need to. Get a general read on your assessment of this actor's acting ability.
1: Oh, I would love to. Her portrayal of a woman in trauma is similar to when you're trying to feed a toddler um, Mm -hmm. baby food. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Mm. Mm. Every time the spoon gets to the mouth, that's essentially what she's doing. Yeah. So I think she was probably actually cast for a Gerber commercial. Well, You know what it reminded me of was (laughs) that
0: episode where the girl was, like, killed in her bed, or the woman was killed in her bed, but we didn't really understand why. Yeah, she was just, like like, moving her lips. Yeah, and it's very much this, where it's like, I don't know that the actor got the direction that they needed to do whatever she was supposed to be doing but the whole episode i'm like what is going on with this actor
1: yes and you know what that also reminds me of the other episode where the little girl is in the classroom like leaned over on the desk yes. at the beginning and she's like and the they disembodied sort of disembodied like, voice yeah they kind of dubbed I'm in sorry. the voice afterwards <laughs> she yes. doesn't move her mouth <laughs> So as I said, the uh, title sequence begins. So you have time to go uh, wash your car, go to the DMV, (laughs) whatever your house. house. Yeah, exactly. And once you're done with that project. (laughs) Go to the DMV. Once you're done with a a leisurely trip to the DMV, you come back and the title sequence is almost over. Have a snack and we're (laughs) back. So in this scene, the doctor is telling Logan that uh, she's got minor injuries and seems to be okay, and he asks if he's done a rape kit. And the doc says, uh, she hasn't said she's been raped. And Logan says, uh, you know what, just do it anyway. Because she hasn't yeah. said she hasn't either. And the doctor seems annoyed. Like, ugh. Uh, what else do you have to do? Isn't that literally why you're there? <laughs> I
0: don't get it. He's like, oh man. I like that you're like, hospital doctor, like you're not busy. Come on.
1: Well, I mean, it's a rape kit on a, a girl who looks like she's been assaulted. Yeah, true. You know? And Logan said the first uh, empathetic thing he said in the entire series. <laughs> That's also true. You know? So, uh, and also this doctor, he doesn't really know. Like, I've seen the doctors on ER have to move at the speed of light. The doctors on Grey's Anatomy. I mean, the kind of drama and Catherine Heigl he'd have to deal with. So just do the ram- <sighs> do the rape kit. You got it easy, bud. <laughs> You're on a Law and Order episode. <laughs> exactly. All you have to do is look dejected. So Logan is now with a rape intervention specialist and the mother of the um, of the victim, and they're in the hospital, sort of in a waiting room. And the mom says that she's. Her daughter Astria has left before, but never for this long, and that things at the house haven't been great lately because of a boy that she was seeing that her and her um, husband disapproved of. And Logan and Gravy learn that she didn't file a missing persons report for her daughter for three days, which mm-hmm. is very suspicious. <laughs> and <laughs> then they talk to the specialist who has this like very. <laughs> misplaced attitude for someone in her job title i'd say (laughs) like Mm. she's supposed to be an empathetic rape specialist but where she speaks to them it's like all eye rolls and side eye but then (laughs) we see why because the detectives do this like whole mansplaining thing to her telling her Mm -hmm. how to do her own job (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) and
1: it's like okay goodbye never mind i get it (laughs) So it uh, makes perfect sense why you're exasperated (laughs) the minute the police walk in. Exactly. They're like, yeah, make sure you don't say anything. And she's like, okay, I got it. And they're like, that means nothing. And she's like, okay, I got it. And they're like, what are you going to say? And she's like, (laughs) okay. So the vibe is that um, while they're looking to sort of get justice for Astria, they are now just as interested, if not more so, in keeping this whole story of a black girl being assaulted by possibly white cops out of the press, like... Yeah, this cannot go public, which to a certain degree, I could understand initially as you're investigating, yeah. but yeah, you know, it hasn't yet eclipsed the issue. So right The like the
0: balance there, tr- in theory, would be trying to walk there is if too much information gets out, and there's like a ton of press, it could impede the ability to investigate. Exactly. That should but be the if reason. they If they're too like heavy handed with like nobody talk about it, then it looks like a big cover up, which is kind of what they deal with the whole time.
1: Yeah. So, you know, at this point, I could understand it. And now they go to question her neighbor, who is our first guest cast member, who I this is Mm -hmm. the first one I only one I immediately recognized. Her neighbor is played by Adina Porter from American Horror Story and True Blood. Do you remember her? You watched True Blood, right? I did. I didn't watch True Blood, but I've seen her in multiple was she? episodes of, um, or a series of American Horror Story. In True Blood, she plays a character, let's see, Letty May.
0: Oh, I know her. She plays She's the reporter. She's actor. She's great. She was actually yeah.
1: really good in this too, and she only yeah. has one scene, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and it's like, this is who you should have like, put in that uh, hospital bed. I'm yes. just saying it
0: oh that's so funny i totally didn't i think i blocked true blood out of my memory because it's so fucking bad
1: <laughs> yeah I, i've never seen it so uh i'm gonna oh you've never seen it i've seen it used to come on it like directly after game of thrones and so there was like mm. a couple of episodes we that were on in the background and i from that experience i was like i can't do this show like there's some hot it's... guys on it and that's about all i was interested <laughs> in if i were to watch it it's the first season is really good um i think you know, I
0: remember the first, se- first season being interesting mm-hmm. and, like, based on characters and kind of mystery and the small town. And then after that, it was just like, now he's a
1: vampire chicken and, you know, <laughs> it <was> just like <laughs> fucking nonsense from minute one after that. I season. think the scene that I remember, the only scene I vividly remember that I was like, this is too preposterous to to watch. And I have to give a lot of credit for this assessment of it to my brother because we were watching it together and, like... He could have taken the words out of my own brain. The opening scene is like a girl, I guess, I don't know if she's a sex worker or just like a, a tertiary character, but she's like giving a blow job in a car or something like that. to so some guy. And then one of them turns out to be a vampire and like mm-hmm. eats her or whatever, you know, whatever they do. And Sucks then her blood. Yeah. Well, you would think that's, that's the, uh, what you would guess, right? But then they cut to like panning out from the car. Because they're just about to like roll the credits, so this is like the end of the opening scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as they're panning out, like you hear screaming in the car, and you see blood pouring out from the bottom of the door of the car. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so what? You're sucking her blood, but enough blood is coming out of her body to not only fill to the pool seat, out of, but yeah. to pour into the bottom of the car, and then with so much force that it is seeping out. <laughs> yeah that's true it they was the most ridiculous show. thing i've ever seen and i was like what this is like <laughs> no
0: yeah it's not worth it for sure
1: well i hope i hope adina porter was good in it so maybe she's she the, the crowning jewel for a while in this she definitely steals the scene and uh <laughs> so back to the scene i guess Oh, I sounded like a monster there. I was going to say this. was like a ski monster. Back to the scene. Sorry, I'm a reptilian. I have something to tell you. <laughs> I'm a reptilian. So <laughs> Illuminati. So uh, she tells them basically, listen, I got three kids. I got no time to be like keeping tabs on every girl I see in my apartment building. But um, if you want to ask somebody, go to her old friend, Fiona. So they literally sit outside in a parked car in broad daylight looking like the copiest cops in the entire copy world in the middle of like what's described in the show as the projects until they see a girl walk by and they say, this one fits as they, and I'm like, it's just a scene that just speaks for itself. I don't even need to say anything else. Nope. So here's our next guest star. Fiona is played by Tashina Arnold, who is from... Everybody hates Chris more recently, but uh, she's from Little Shop of Horrors. I never saw that. <gasps> oh my god, it's so good! Is, Is it, it a so good? movie? Yeah, it's, it's a, a musical, but it's, it's a movie play. too okay. with Rick Moranis and the big plant. You, you get it. But she's uh, I know the
0: yeah, and I know like Feed Me Seymour, but that's all I know.
1: Oh, it's great. She it's very it's very good, and she plays one of the um the singing girls that they kind of act as like a Greek chorus.
0: Uh, oh okay
1: and she's but they're like a motown inspired one and she plays one of like those girls that narrates, like from hercules similarly yeah okay yeah yeah (laughs) more motown less soul okay so uh she says when they approach her that she doesn't talk to the man and she's not telling them anything but then she immediately tells them everything she (laughs) says that she and Astria have fallen out and they ask her you know was it over a guy (laughs) she's like do i look like i'd lose a guy to her yeah (laughs) and that drag race sound shade sound effect happens yeah (laughs) (laughs) someone's slipping (laughs) um but she gives them the name of the boy that astria was seeing whose name is jordan hill which matches the uh sort of name that the parents knew so they're like, right. where is he? And she says, if he's out of prison, you know, he's doing his community service. So not too hard to find. They check with his parole officer, who is clearly overwhelmed. And um, Greavy looks at the file until, in his words, ba <laughs> Bingo, bango, ah <laughs> oh, exactly! I wrote... <laughs> I wrote, ooh, ah, cha-cha. <laughs> I hadn't seen the Bingo Mango episodes of Hey Riddle Riddle yet. <laughs> oh, God. Um. yeah bobbing and what he has discovered <laughs> which many people might think was like a clue for some kind of big mystery in Scooby Doo based on that reaction no 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 it's that astria was with jordan on the day he was arrested and so they catch up with him doing community service and he is the next guest star he's probably been in the most recent things uh his davy recognized him i actually didn't even know that uh he was who he was his uh actor's name is Harold Perrineau and he was in Romeo and Juliet which I know him from oh my god he was Tybalt he was Mercutio Mercutio that's exactly what I said (laughs) yes he was in um Matrix Reloaded which I did see and Sons
0: of Anarchy he
1: was in Dumplin recently and I haven't seen it but I've heard it's incredible so I hope uh I hope he's good in it he's another good actor yeah, I mean, I, I only remember him from Romeo and Juliet, and I kind of remember him from Matrix, but I, I block out some of Matrix. <laughs> um, it's for the best. Yeah. So he starts to say that he saw her for... And by the way, I do think he's a good actor. I don't think he's great in this episode. No. <laughs> it's early yeah. early days. So he starts to say that he saw her four or five days ago, but he stops himself in the middle of it and then says, I don't know. I don't know when I saw her. And then it's all I don't knows. Um, yeah logan lays on like heavy heavy douchebaggery and is like i am not in the mood <laughs> and <laughs> Greevy gets uh all flirty and writes down his digits on jordan's hand and says call me later call me maybe <laughs> <laughs> hey i just met you and you're doing community this service but i think you're involved in the crime so call me later or you're arrested that's the, that's the uh, extended version. That was version. the working. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first draft <laughs> uh, the... that Carly Ray Jepsen
0: decided not to go with.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you actually let the last track on that album play and then two minutes pass, uh, that pl- <laughs> starts playing, just like on the old uh, Jagged Little Pill album. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Hidden Tracks. That is a deep cut that just doesn't oh, happen anymore. I, we were just talking about this a couple weeks ago. Wow. Like, I, because I heard that song, that Your House song by Alanis Morissette. And I was like, I remember being like so thinking I was like a super sleuth, so cool underground, when the last album, when the last track on Jagged Little Pill was a uh, new or like an alternate version of You Ought to Know, mm-hmm. but you had to let it play and then finish and then like play for a full two minutes and then you got the a cappella track. Uh, I felt like, wow, I really get it.
0: I'm really the number one fan.
1: Yeah, because the internet wasn't really an accessible thing in my house at that time. So yeah. I found it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> what kids today will never know i'm gonna make a buzzfeed list <laughs> please don't i'm gonna stick that one between like what were the uh gushers and dunkaroos so it's a list of candy that doesn't exist anymore and
0: in the middle of that is also just jagged little pills hidden.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 things th- things from the 90s kids will never understand <laughs> anyway so he basically tells him listen call me when you're off when you're off duty and uh, let's, let's talk because you know, he's playing the good cop here. Then they go to check out the crack house where Jordan was busted. And it's basically a dilapidated building that, you know, any evidence being found seems really unlikely. Yeah. So they kind of like kick, kick around there, have like a really disgusting conversation. And then they go back oh, to Astria. Yeah. Oh wait, you know what? They don't have that conversation yet. They have it later. We'll get to that. Ugh. Yeah. I was like, wait, how did I not write more about that? Is that not the scene where he's like talking about no. like, Okay. No, no. That's when they go back again. I Don't Don't worry. I cover it. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> that's why I was like, wait, that didn't happen yet. So at the hospital now, they're told by our friend, the specialist that we met earlier, that the family has hired an advisor now, and everything has to run through him. So they're unlikely to get a lot of uh, headway. And they're like, why would that make it harder now? And it's because it's Congressman Ronald Eaton. And Grievy describes him as, quote, Mr. Civil Rights Soundbite. And Mm -hmm. based on this and sort of the way he uh, presents himself and is described, I'm imagining they're trying to do like a parallel to like a Reverend Al Sharpton type character. Do you want me to answer that? Oh, sure.
0: Yes, it's absolutely supposed to be Al Sharpton.
1: The reason I recognize that and I think this is telling is because the way they portray this gentleman, Senator or Congressman Ronald Eaton, is the way as a child growing up seeing Al Sharpton on Al TV. Sharpton in the news. That's yeah. how I saw him. Yeah, that's because that's how they wanted me to see him. Yeah, it's very strange to to like I don't know. For me, in my, my personal moment, it's very strange for me to see things like that. It's kind of yeah. scary. Yeah, because you know you think you you know I don't know. You think you know, but you have no you idea. Have no idea. <laughs> this is the diary of Reverend Al Sharpton. <laughs> 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 Oh, let's bring back Diary. Oh, man. Do you remember Fanatic on MTV? I don't think I do. Oh, God. Uh, just very briefly, it was a show where if you were the biggest fan of someone, you had the chance to meet your favorite star and spend like a day or two with them. Wait, what was it called? Fanatic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, do my God. That now. It was yeah. great. And also, <laughs> it was great. And also, like, oh, I, maybe I didn't want to meet my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so all right, so we're meeting this gentleman who is akin to sort of the Al Sharpton, and he says he's here to protect her voice from being silenced by the quote old white boy power structure. And Logan gets defensive immediately. Shock, shock, shock! He's like stewing. You could tell he's like probably wringing his hands. He's like, listen, I don't like black people, but that doesn't make me racist. <laughs> he's like, I listen, I watch Oprah. Yeah. I'm fine. So he is, like, stewing there and, like, saying, like, watch it, and Eaton reminds him that the numbers do not lie, and when comparing cases involving black versus cases involving white victims and how many of each get cleared, he's seen the numbers, so let's get real. And uh, he thinks that this will get the attention of the media and possibly government officials. And Astra's parents sort of come out after him, and her father is the first time we're seeing him. His name is Lester, and he is our final of the four uh, f- guest stars. It's Frankie Faison, and he's from uh, The Wire. He was in Hannibal and the following movies. Um, he was in The White Chicks, Coming to America. He's been in a million things. Hmm. So he is furious, though. He wants no help from the white cops, he says, and it's like storms past them. Yeah. And now, you know, we're, we're getting the sort of vibe this this um, episode is taking. And so we're back at the station. Everyone is in an uproar as Eaton calls for a photo array of every white cop in or around New York City. And they start to, like, sort of strategize. And they're like, okay, we got nothing on the parents, and the girl will be free to go from the hospital soon. And Cragen um, says to them, listen, I want her in for questioning, like, the second she gets out of the hospital and Logan and he have sort of like a fiery exchange that is really strangely put into the episode, very poorly placed. Um, but it concludes in Logan basically saying, listen, you're treating the victim like a suspect, Mm -hmm. which was shocking from Logan, by the way. But then we get a jazzy sort of muzak fade (laughs) to like, it's really, really strange that they used to do this. It's like very long, uh, (laughs) Kenny G's solo as they go into uh, an area where detectives are at the Crawford residence now. And we get this very, very, very overacted scene. Probably the most I've ever seen Uh in the series so far yeah so Ashreya's mother they're at the door and Ashria's mother is being held oh, back God. by her furious yeah. husband who as they're like sort of asserting to the cops that they're not allowing them access to their daughter they're not speaking to them anymore because they're just going to protect their own story and bury hers and they know what they're trying to do and she has like a wildly emotional fit and then slam, <laughs> and then the guy slams the door in their face like are you happy now and it's so over the top yeah So they're like, all right, well, we got to get out of here. Obviously, nothing's happening. And they go and chat with the rape intervention specialist at like a diner. And she says, listen, I'm out of the loop now. They're not talking to me anymore. Um, And I'm not going to work with Eaton because he always has a political agenda. And she says, if you want to know more, you should check out the results of Astrea's rape kit because something definitely happened to her. But she says she'd be surprised if it was going to come back positive. Right. So in the meantime, they're back at the crack house doing a search again and just g- given it a shot because they're not they have no access to Astria. So they just kind of have to do something. <laughs> yeah, they're basically just picking up
0: random garbage, hoping that it somehow connects to this case. Yeah.
1: And then the writers thought, you know what is missing from this episode?
0: A really <laughs>
1: solid, like barf worthy moment from the pit of your stomach, you know? Yeah. So we got this dialogue where Greavy wonders if Logan's still, quote, dragging things home at night as they're throwing garbage around in a crack house. And he says uh, he's been sleeping with a girl who's really smart, and he's motioning with his hands like she's got big breasts, like he's 14 yeah. years old, and yeah. with his first playboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says she loves cops and guns, makes her feel connected to the real world. Okay. Real, and then really necessary part of the episode, by the way. Yeah, really moves forward the story, a lot of character development. Um as some uh boys talk about bazingas and <laughs> do they say the word bazingas? The, the, no, they don't, but they they he might does. as well have though. His eyes uh rolled around in his head and his tongue fell out of his mouth and rolled out like a red carpet though. Yes, and it made the ooh sound. <laughs> Hello nurse. <laughs> But pathetic so uh yeah so we go back and Eaton is now holding a press conference and the whole cast other than d.a schiff who by the way does he ever 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 leave his office no i don't think so i think he lives there like a little skexies he's bridge. like a skex like
0: skex Skeks- Skeksky? Skeksky?
1: Skeksies? Isn't it Skeksies? Wouldn't that be the plural? Or this uh, thing? I think it's singular skeksies. and plural. Skeksies.
0: Skeksies. Yeah. <laughs> I think I try to add an extra K in there for some reason, like Skeksies.
1: Skeksies. Like then it sounds like a sport. <laughs> then it sounds like sexy. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because, anyway, yes. Did you ever watch the dark, they made a TV show. Oh. A Netflix series. Yeah. Was it good? We watched the first two episodes of it and we're like, whoa, wait, 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 let's watch the old Dark Crystal first. Oh, Even though it's, this yeah. is like sort of like a prequel to it, I guess. Um, okay. But it, it was great that what we watched it. was of good? It. Yeah, it was good enough oh. that we were like, okay, wait, 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 we want to like start this over, but we want to watch the original Dark Crystal first, so. Oh, I should add that to
0: my list. Is it still on Netflix?
1: Yeah, it's still on there and I've I've only heard good things about it from people who have seen it, so okay and if you like the dark crystal obviously then i mean i i don't think i've seen
0: it in probably like 25 Same, or 30 yeah. years at this point but i would for sure watch it again because
1: it's jim henson yeah oh yeah i'm highly uh i always feel like dark crystal was the, the one of like the my childhood movies that was always the underrated one like the the trilogy of them for me like off the top of my head was like Neverending story um labyrinth and dark crystal Yeah, Like they just hold like a, even though it's, that's just my thing. And then I always feel like Dark Crystal was the one no one ever knew about whenever I would talk to people about it. Really? Yeah. Until like the last like five or six years. And I'm like, why? No. Like it's the most like mystical man. I don't know. For me, I'm a never ending story boy from forever and ever. So I've never seen that. Oh my God. It is my, my childhood. One of my all time favorite movies from my childhood. And I've seen it recently. Uh, It had like a 25 year an, you know, anniversary thing a few years ago, and I went down to the the movie theater in Oxnard to see it. <laughs> oh, it was so great! Wow, it holds up, it's really great. And the things that they did animatronically on that friggin' movie are like the most incredible thing for the time. You have no idea, huh? Anywho, yeah, big fan. Yeah, no, but I just think that DA D. Schiff. I've I don't think we're ever gonna see him like out of the office, outside of his office. Yeah, he's yeah. just being like wheeled around. I don't even know if I've seen him stand up. It's very strange, but everyone else in the primary cast is sort of outside watching from across the street, this press conference going on in front of the courthouse or not in front of the courthouse in front of a old church. That's sort of like a community center now. And, uh, Cragen has this personal ax to grind with, with Eaton, it seems like there's some sort of history that's unspoken and he doesn't want to go over and he's like, Grievy, you go say that you want to talk, but only to the girl. And um, Stone is there as well, and he thinks that it's a bad idea. E-A-D-A Stone. E-A-D-A. E-A-E-I-O. He's like, I don't think it's a good idea, you know, talking out the side of his mouth. But Craig is like, no, 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 we're going to do it anyway. And the crowd outside is, like, enraged and screaming as the detective enter and, like, pass Eaton up. And then Eaton follows them in, saying that this rape was the fault of the NYPD, who didn't even have the sensitivity to send a black investigator there. Which, hel- I mean, hello. like, yeah and they kind of look at each other and I don't know if this was acting or not, but they kind of look at each other like, oops, like that was kind yeah. of stupid of us. And, uh, that he says that he will not stop until the fires of oppression are quenched. And they all sort of like shouted at each other for a little while until Astria throws herself on the ground. In like the weirdest, like most, re- even worse than like the, I'm not taking the baby food moment. This was like yeah. another like toddler it was very strange. It
0: was really, really weird.
1: Yeah. It's like a kid who didn't get to show you, like, how they play piano at night because it's bedtime. <laughs> she throws herself on the floor, and she's taken out in a stretcher. And, I mean, this, of course, looks awful, awful, awful. Right. right. Um The whole media is there. Two white cops just entered, and, you know, she's taken out in a stretcher moments later and so stone is like uh you're all done he goes into the station and he just like is like on a tirade and he tears them apart and he's like you guys are off this case period the end goodbye and then we head on over to the order side thankfully i just
0: have to add that stone is his favorite acting technique is to be really really close to people Mm -hmm. and in this episode there are several times where I'm like, is he about to kiss this person? Because he is so <laughs> fucking close to their face when he starts. And he, he gets in and he talks real soft to them. And it's like, are, are you, like, aiming to build awkward sexual tension with every actor on this show?
1: He's really taking, like, lean in quite literally. He is, Very like, literally. Oh, my gosh. When he tells Kragen, like, I don't think this is a good idea, he is literally, like, almost cheek-to-cheek with him. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been slow dancing. <laughs> they could have been a dancing at <laughs> the stars doing, like, a Viennese Waltz underneath.
0: <laughs> so, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I agree. But, you know, maybe it's because he's talking so... Using so little of his lips to talk. <laughs> he just That's probably like, true, yeah. 20% of the corner of his mouth is where he talks out of. So he's got to get close or you're not going to hear it. Yeah. In his defense. So, all right. So now we're in the order side and Robinette and Stone are going over the case. And here's what they got. There's a rape kit and all the other medical reports, but they all have come back negative. All right. the officers named by anybody... That either by Eaton or Astria or whoever have like solid substantiated people have seen them there alibis, and the witness has still made no statement, so they have really nothing to suggest a crime even took place. But the burden of proof is now on them. Um, And Stone says like, if they don't win this case, um, every black person in New York City will believe Eaton's narrative, and it will only further the distrust in the NYPD, which he's not incorrect about you know and it would be rightfully so so this is very frustrating for them and it's very frustrating for me because I'll wait until the end again like to talk about why it's a little frustrating but you know I hate spoilers so (laughs) Stone meets Eaton at the hospital um, and he says he hopes the cobwebs will fall from his heart cue the Disney musical moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like ugh and so they chat a little bit about, you know, the fact that Eaton's agenda is to show that the justice system, justice system isn't serving the black community. And Stone right. argues that there's no evidence of a crime, regardless of what you just said. There's still no evidence of a crime in this case. And if they don't give them access to the victim, you know, he can't prosecute the person who, you know, assaulted her. And Eaton says right. he's protecting her, but Stone says you're just doing it because you can't find you a suspect. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so Eaton confirms that he does have bigger fish to fry here, and it's basically him and his his whole department.
0: Right. He wants to take down all of the the,
1: the justice DA's system. Office. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So the press attacks on the way out, and Eaton takes this chance to sort of eat it up. And uh, Stone watches for a minute and then walks away. Like, oh, I-, I can see how he's playing the press, and like, we gotta we gotta figure out what to do now. So Robinette goes to Jordan Hills and asks him to sort of like clear up the inconsistencies in his story as we know he was like holding something back. He wants to know if Eaton has been speaking with him, which he had. And there's this sort of hopeful moment in the next scene where Robinette lets Stone know that what he found out and says that, you know, maybe we should subpoena him. And Stone says no, because he'll end up lying on the stand and he'll perjure himself, and then he's going to lose his work his work program that he's got mm-hmm. currently, and why do that? And I thought, wow, that is a really hopeful moment, because wouldn't it be great if during, like, preliminary proceedings, or whatever, you know, we call them, if people's lives were considered just a little bit mm-hmm. when we're yep. making, like, life-altering decisions about them? Yeah. Anyway, so he's, <laughs> uh, you know, subpoenaing the victim instead. <laughs> Ooh. This doesn't go over very well. No. So on the stand, initially, we have the specialist, and she says that there are multiple specific characteristics in this case that match false allegations, um, ripped clothes, inconsistent with the attack, writing on the body, self-mutilation, and a negative rape kit. Then we have Eaton on the stand, who says that his desires for Astria's well-being is eclipsed only by the bigger picture. And then Stone focuses back on the issue, but Eaton is pushing back on the larger issue of which, you know, is very real. Yeah. Uh, Stone warns though, that if he continues that he will arrest Astria and her mother and Eaton gets up and like ruffles his tail feathers and <laughs> squawks and walks out. <laughs> and then, <laughs> he is like, basically like do it then. And then bing, <laughs> we're in court and we're going to uh, possibly arrest Astria and her mom. So uh, their defendant, or the, the defense attorney that they have is... I was convinced. I don't know if you remember this man. I was convinced it was Stanley from the office. I was like... Oh, I don't remember. And I never
0: saw the office. Oh, okay,
1: I Well, viewers, it looks just like him and sounds like him. And I was shocked. Shocked it wasn't. I, had to, I like looked at five websites. I was like, there's a lie. <clears throat> uh, anyway, the resemblance is uncanny. As the judge uh, sides with the DA's office, the defense attorney asks if Eaton can have a chance to speak. Um, And she's the judge, she's sort of like, I, I don't see the point, but he's kind of, like, pushing her, like, uh, this is an issue of racial justice. And it's, so she's like, okay, you know, he's a congressman. He could speak. And as soon as he starts to speak, he's starting to insist that his clients are being discriminated against, and he's disappointed in the judgment. And the judge, who is a black woman, like, just reads him to filth. Yeah. So... He's kind of shut up for the first time in the whole episode and looks a little dejected. Schiff, who I wrote is a Skeksis in a men's warehouse suit, <laughs> uh, he asks the team if they have anything else um, at their disposal. And Robinette has this one idea to kind of go back to the pastor and the community and ask for help, like from the inside out. Like, what is the story with these people, maybe? So, oh, he gets the idea from the pastor to go to speak to Mrs. Crawford because she might have more to say. And so he meets with her in like the middle of the night in like a playground. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. But she's bruised on her face, and she admits to him, you know, this, it's, it's a lie. Um, There was no assault. And she says that Astria got pregnant by her boyfriend that they didn't approve of, and they're Catholic. And she wanted to get an abortion. But she knew the only way she could think of being allowed to get one from her very like, Uh, angry father, yeah. Yeah. Um, is to blame is to say she was raped. And then her first inclination, knowing her father's strong emotional reaction to white police officers, for whatever reason, she just says white cops because she feels like, okay, he'll definitely let me do it then. Right. So now Robinette is like in a weird situation, and he approaches the whole family and convinces the father to like drop charges and agree to sort right. of a gag order all around from both sides. So the police will stop talking; they'll stop talking, and it'll just disappear. Hopefully. And they're like, "What about Eaton, though?" And he's like, "I'll deal with him myself." And before he leaves, he's sort of like, "He oh he goes over and says he's sending a social wor- worker in for Astria." And Lester gets all upset, but he warns him that if he so much as like lays a hand on Astria, he's coming for him, Mm -hmm. which I thought was sweet. But I thought to myself, like, you are so overworked. How are you possibly going to be able to keep up with this? But it's a nice moment, at least. Maybe it'll uh, inspire some sort of change in the household, at least. But who knows? So now we're in like the sort of the last scenes and... We're in a diner in the middle of the night, and Robinette meets up with Eaton like privately. <laughs> Robinette is having some very clandestine meetings he with people
0: really, in this episode. He really he's, is. He, he, it's like he's trying to be Batman.
1: It's like he's. It's like he's trying to be like <laughs> Batman. It's like he's trying to be like a like a, a mysterious shady character meeting in like these like dark alleyways, yes, but not yes, quite, because yes, yes. he's meeting at a playground in a diner. So he's not. Yeah. He's not fully committed <laughs> to the character. <laughs> So he's at this diner with uh, Eaton, and they're sort of discussing what happened off the record. And Eaton suggests that Robinette's sort of a traitor to his his people. He says because mm-hmm. he allowed this all to happen, he's supporting the gag order. And he says instead that Eaton is self serving. And Eaton responds, "Quote: How long do you think it will be again before an entire society is focused on issues of racial equality?" Robinette's response is to say that you know you have a good you have a good mission, but quote your execution stunk. And I thought, really weak. But then he follows up with, King walked with the angels. You slide and slime on your belly to get what you want. I was Mm -hmm. like, ooh, that's way better. Stone would approve. So he asks Stone if he's a sellout in the last scene and, you know, asks some questions that don't really get answered. He basically, um, Stone basically tells him, you've made decisions based on something that's within, and you have to either love it or hate it, but I don't think you're gonna have a hard time living with it. Yeah. And he says, "I'll see you tomorrow." And then they awkwardly walk off in the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that happens. I didn't even notice that. It was re- <laughs> oh,
0: you're going this way. Oh, you're oh, you're going. Oh, this okay, way. okay. Actually, I think my car's in the complete opposite direction.
1: <laughs> so awkward. I think that's my mom's van. <laughs> or there, when you're beeping your car and it's like literally next to the person that you just say goodbye to, <laughs> you're like, "Okay, shit." So, uh, the, the, the only thing I, that's the end of the episode, but I just want to say my, my issue is that like, I appreciate the conversations that occurred during, like in the episode within it about, you know, white supremacy and systemic racism on the police force, possibly, and unlawful imprisonment, imprisonment of the black community. Yeah. But I think that. As Robinette would say, their execution stunk. stunk yeah. Because it's really a shame that, like, the man who is speaking truth into the universe is essentially the bad guy. He's the extremist. Yeah. Um, He's over the top. And he's using, like, sort of corrupt ways to get the message out there and tricking the people. And it just, I feel like, diminishes everything he's saying.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what the episode is like meant to do because they're (laughs) essentially that like closing scene with Robinette is your intentions were good, but you didn't go about it through the like established protocols. And so you're slime.
1: Right. Right. And so it's, yeah, it's just like, it's just just wait till you hear about the actual crime. Oh my God. I just think it's like, I also don't like the exaggerated portrayals of black community in this episode. Like no, there's, you know, we have in this episode, Why did they have to make an episode that was about a false accusation against the police? Why did it have to be against black people? Yeah. Like, this whole episode about false accusations against the police that they're trying to, like, push out. Like, oh, sometimes we're not the bad guys. They could have done this with a white group of people, and it would have had the same exact effect. And it wouldn't have diminished, like, the voices of of black people that are—that is a true, for real fear, you know? Yes. And then on top of that, we have— You know, the black victim is lying. And then we have her pregnant out of wedlock, and it's a big deal. And then we have her, like, running away from home frequently. And then the mother is a liar and a co-conspirator and dramatically overacting the lie. And then the dad is angry and abusive. It's like, it's just disgusting in a way and i just i never would have realized it it's another one of those things i just never would have picked up on any 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 of that watching this growing up like at all
0: yeah well it's interesting you know i was i have a lot of feelings about this episode and the the actual crime Mm. and what i was sort of like struck with was the fact like the j- just the very okay so the the true crime is very similar in a lot of ways to what they did on the tv show like it it didn't deviate a ton mm-hmm. and what bothers me about the fact that it became an episode is essentially they took this moment that where the facts are really questionable and amplified that story mm. and so like as opposed to doing stories about all of the instances where there is really a lot of disparity in how the black community experiences and is is harmed by policing and the justice system, they they are telling the story where the claims are questionable. Right. Does that make sense? Like the fact that yeah, they're th- amplifying that narrative in and of itself, I think is kind of a
1: problem. They should pick a case where it doesn't have to involve Reverend Al Sharpton in the black community yes. and a serious issue and because yeah. it, it seeks to diminish the serious issue and cover right. it up with a, a different one. It just yeah. pushes the narrative yeah. that like, yeah, mistakes happen. See, like, uh, you know, exactly. can't trust everything someone says. You got to treat them like, you know, and even like Logan being like, oh, we're treating the... The uh, suspect like a victim Suspect like a victim. Or, or, or vice Otherwise. versa. And then yeah. it turns out she is. And it's kind of like the right. bad guys get to be, you know, the bad guys get to be like, ha, see? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are
0: you ready to hear about the true crime? I am as ready as I'll ever be. Yeah. So I think the thing I want to say before I start into the true crime aspect of this, and I think we've said kind of elements of this as you were retelling the episode, which is. Uh, You know, the case does involve claims of sexual assault that end up being not supported by evidence. And I want to be careful to say that there is very, 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 very small percentage of false sexual assault allegations. Mm -hmm. And also, there are many instances in cases of allegations of sexual assault which are not untrue, but the evidence, like, they're unfounded because there's insufficient evidence to support them, if that makes sense, because of, you know, our standard of evidence. And so I just want to say, like, in all of, in retelling this story, I don't want to imply that we shouldn't believe survivors, because I think that's really, really critical that we do. And this case is very, very complicated because there is, a lot of contradictory evidence and and confusion um, relating to it. And still to this day, we don't really have a concrete answer on anything. And so in retelling this story, I really don't want to imply that survivors shouldn't be believed because that's like one of the foundational principles of, um, you know, like trauma-informed perspectives on all of this is that survivors are remarkably overwhelmingly always telling the truth about what happened yeah
1: yeah exactly
0: okay so this for this story i got a lot of information from an npr article by mark memet uh i'm not sure if that's how you say his name (laughs) a history.com article um an article from newsweek uh cnn article by show wills a People article by James Kunin that was terrible, and a New York Post article as well as Wikipedia. Again, this this story is also kind of hard to tell because there is a lot of disagreement about what is real and what is not. So it's, it's kind of a hard narrative to try to tell objectively mm-hmm. as well. Okay, so on November 28th, 1987, uh, Tawana Brawley, had been missing for four days from her home in New York and was found seemingly unconscious and unresponsive, laying in garbage several feet from an apartment that she used to live in. When she was found, her clothing was torn and burned, and her body was smeared with feces. And when they took her to the emergency room, they found the words KKK, the N-word, and... uh, I don't want to say this one either, but the B word that is a uh, slur against women Mm -hmm. written on her torso in charcoal. So when she was when the police arrived to interview her, she remained unresponsive. And the family requested a, a black officer to, to talk with her, which the police department did provide. She was said to have a really spacey look on her face and would only communicate with the officer with nods of her heads and shrugs of her shoulder and, and written notes. So kind of like what they did yeah. in, in the episode. They're really uh, falling spot on so far. Uh, yes. Yeah. So the interview lasted about 20 minutes. And throughout it, she only uttered one word, the word NEON which I didn't find referenced again, so <laughs> okay. strange. She did indicate, though, that she had been raped repeatedly in a wooded area by six white men, at least one of whom she said was a police officer. A uh, a rape kit was administered, and the police started investigating the, the case, uh, despite the fact that she didn't give any names and wasn't able to give any descriptions of her assailants either. Hmm. Okay. So the initial kind of response to this case was really sim- sympathetic um bill cosby offered a $25,000 reward <laughs> for information on the case uh-huh don king pledged $100,000 toward brawley's education so offering to pay for her schooling wow how, how old was she again you said say it's ooh, 17 um, ooh. let me look so she was born in 71 and this happened in 87. So that would be
1: 16. 16 yeah, oh, That's the same age as uh, Astria in the episode. Yeah. Okay.
0: So in December of that year, more than a thousand people marched through the streets of New York in support of her. So there's a lot of public support for her, particularly from the Black community. Mm-hmm. So again, kind of consistent with what we saw on the episode. Yeah. And she actually, this case got a lot of national attention and it was kind of in in headlines across the country. Uh, there were multiple public rallies denouncing this incident. And this is when Al Sharpton gets involved in the case. Mm-hmm. And he started to handle the family's publicity. And this is kind of when got it became it. really highly controversial. And I I wouldn't be at all surprised if this was kind of one of the cases that you saw that you, personally, Matt, remember Al Sharpton from in in the media about.
1: I wouldn't be surprised um, because when you described the uh, the words that were written on her body in charcoal, it, it's sort of sounding a little familiar. I don't okay. know if I've seen yeah. something on this or not, but uh, yeah.
0: So Sharpton, along with a, a pair of attorneys named Maddox and Mason, were kind of really involved in generating... Attention around this case because they were saying that there was you know police corruption and cover up which you know there is police corruption and there is cover up <laughs> so there it's not outside the realm of the possibility that that was involved in this case but they were saying that they these police and and district attorney and all these folks were trying to cover up the case because the defendants were white and because they were one of them potentially was a police officer
1: which is not an unusual uh. Like conclusion to draw as a, as a possibility. No, no I mean At all. Absolutely. Like, like we've we've heard the police in these
0: episodes talk to each other about like standing by each other and like not revealing information and protecting the you know. So it's it's totally within the realm of possibility. Yeah. But I will say, and I I. I didn't get to see this firsthand because I think I was too young to really be watching this with any sort of uh, awareness. But my my read on the reports of this that I, you know, the articles that I used for this research indicated that Sharpton and these two lawyers did themselves and maybe the Brawley's a bit of a disservice in some of the grand claims that they made about it, mm. um, because there were times where they said the KKK was involved, which make well, you know there was KKK written on her, so that would be a, a logical connection. Right. But they also said the Irish Republican Army was involved or the the mafia was involved in the the cover up. Mm. So there was a lot of of big allegations that they made yeah. that a lot of people th- say ended up kind of screwing over the credibility of the case to an extent of course that like muddles everything yeah so and and part of this was also exacerbated by the fact that uh shortly after the period where she was allegedly held captive and became this case started to get attention there was a police officer who had completed suicide right after and so they were like oh this is obviously somebody who has a lot of guilt over this but it it ended up being totally unrelated um etc so but like once okay. that's out there it doesn't matter <laughs> right exactly and the fact and they said that and the assistant dr- district attorney whose name was steven i'm gonna say paginus p-a-g-o-n-e-s paginus let's just go with Paginus. Yeah. Pagonis? <laughs> um, sure. he, he was one of the folks who was like, no, 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 that, that police officer who completed suicide, he tried to develop an, an alibi for him, saying that he was with him during the period of time that Tawana was allegedly assaulted by these people. So he's, he is providing, the assistant district attorney is providing the alibi for one of the people who the public is being given as a name for somebody who is involved in this attack. So uh, that kind of tarnishes him a bit, like he gets accused of being racist and trying to and being involved in the cover up, which again, the facts in this are very debatable. And so again, I don't want to say like, that's not true, or this is true. But it's, it's clear that his attempt to either provide an alibi or cover up whatever was going on ended up. Getting a lot more attention Mm -hmm. and ended up kind of impacting him as well, as far as like his reputation or why he was involved in this Mm. as the assistant district attorney. Whoops. So the mainstream media's coverage of this story ended up being really heavily criticized by leaders in the Black community and Black news reporting sources for how they treated Tawana in this case and the way they reported on it. And examples of that were the publication of photos that were taken of her at the hospital, her name being put in the press despite the fact that she was underage, mm. and the fact that she had also been left in the custody of her, her mother and stepfather rather than being given protection by the state because, in theory, the... the Uh, Allegations of assault should have resulted in her being placed in protective custody, apparently, Uh and not just kind of remanded to her parents at that moment. And I will say, when I was trying to research this case, almost unilaterally, the media... Portrays Tawana as Tawana and Al Sharpton really kind of n- negatively. Okay. Like it was, it was hard to find unbiased, non-opinionated news reporting of this case, and so that's another one of the reasons I want to like say like we don't really know the answers. Yeah. So I would imagine. So this does go to grand jury hearings where they're um, trying to hear evidence to see whether this can be brought to trial, and again, her. Uh, kind of publicity team, Sharpton and these as t- these two lawyers, are making pretty big accusations that don't have a lot of foundation to support them, including that that ADA paginus had participated in the rape of Tawana, and that a special prosecutor involved in the case named Robert Abrams had been caught masturbating to the evidentiary photos. Oh my god. Again, they there didn't seem to be evidence for this, but these were some of the claims that were put out there. It's uh, so gross.
1: If that's true, that is so gross. <sighs> yes. Oh God, I hope that's i f I'm gonna just for my own sanity, I have to tell just myself to that that true. was made up yeah. by a, a
0: teenager. So in October of ninety-eight, so this is about a year after the assault the grand jury hearings uh, released their report that Brawley had not been abducted, assaulted, raped, or sodomized as she and her advisors claimed that she had been. So that the hearing, the, the evidentiary hearings essentially pre- showed that there was not enough evidence to bring this to court. And I, I will say that, so the report, I'm going to quote something here, the report concluded that Quote, the unsworn public allegations against Assistant District Attorney Paginus were false and had no basis in fact. And the report, you know, one of the articles I said said that the report was involved hearing from 180 different witnesses, uh, 250 exhibits, and recorded more than 6,000 pages of testimony. And out of all of that, they concluded that there was not enough evidence to bring this to trial. So, I, I don't know whether that's a lot or not in any given case. Like, it seems like a lot of, uh, like, witnesses and, and exhibits that would support that conclusion of insufficient evidence, but I, I don't know how that compares to other cases.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it sounds like, uh you know, pretty massive big yeah, yeah but then investigation. when you think about like even on tv shows where you know you know which is totally accurate police work we always see exactly <laughs> yeah, what happens exactly. but you know when they when they bring out like case files for like big cases it's yes, like boxes and, so and huge. boxes and boxes and yeah. boxes yeah so maybe it's actually not i don't know it sounds yeah. like a massive amount but it doesn't sound like more than two <laughs> two boxes
0: <laughs> true
1: yeah we How need mean- a few more boxes
0: I was going to say, let's do, like, let's do the quick math on how, how many piece, pieces of paper are in a ream. Oh, okay. And then if we have 6,000 pages, how many reams of paper is that?
1: Uh,
0: and if you have uh, a shopping cart uh, full of watermelons <laughs> and you give one watermelon to Susie, you going to pass out. Let's do math problems. <laughs> okay. So when the grand jury decided that this case was not going to go to trial, they noted many of the kind of problems with... Uh, Tawana's story. Firstly, that the rape kit did not indicate that she had been assaulted. And despite the fact that she says she was held captive outdoors for days in that time of year in that area of the country, doctors think she should have been suffering from hypothermia. Oh. And, and she should have been well nourished and she was not or so she should have been malnourished she was not Mm -hmm. and she also appeared to have like recently brushed her teeth
1: that was in the episode too i totally forgot about that yeah they talked about the hypothermia yeah interesting and despite despite the fact that she had
0: burns on her clothing there was no burns on her body and although a shoe she was wearing had been cut through by some sort of knife type device she didn't have injuries on that foot And all the uh, racial epithets written on her were written upside down, which would sort of like indicate that she potentially could have written them on herself. Again, I I don't know the facts of the story. That's the conclusion they draw from it, that it's written in a position that could indicate somebody wrote them on themselves. Okay. And testimony from schoolmates indicated she had been at a party during the time of her supposed abduction and one witness claims to have seen her crawling into the pile of garbage that she was found in, and the feces was identified as coming from a neighbor's dog. So there is a lot of evidence that indicates that this was a false claim, or at least there's a lot of evidence that would lead you toward that direction. Did you ever listen to Serial? I did, yeah, yes. And you remember the Adnan um, Syed case and how— like there was so much weird evidence that like pointed him in that direction. But then there was like a lot of claims. That, it, I, anyway, it I'm just kind of reminded of that where it's, I want to believe people tell the truth. And so despite all of this evidence, you know, I, I guess I'm saying like, there are, there could be explanations for all of this in theory right. that would explain away this being a false allegation.
1: Right. Like either narrative okay. could have possibly happened. Exactly, yes. You know, there's, so, there's enough evidence, which I guess is, you know, what leads a lot of um, juries <laughs> to, like, mistrials. What,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Tawana and her family did refuse to testify or cooperate with the investigation, which, again, does ind- – okay, so the fact that they refused to cooperate could have led to a an amount of evidence – that would have come from them not being collected, right? So that could have swayed, again, the the grand jury's hearing in the direction of uh, uh, unfounded claims. Yeah. So they dismissed the entire matter, and the attorneys that Al Sharpton was working with ended up facing disciplinary proceedings from the state bar for their conduct during the investigation. And Assistant District Attorney Paginus ended up filing a libel suit against them and Sharpton, uh, because he, they had claimed in the media that he was one of the rapists. Yeah. And so he sued them for libel and he did end up winning. Mm-hmm. And on June 6th of 1998, Tawana's mother was sentenced to 30 days in prison and fined $250 for refusing to testify at the grand jury oh, hearing. Wow. So that's sort of the, the end of the case itself. But I have a little bit more to talk about, which is the sort of the the why the motive behind it so a lot of the evidence indicated that Tawana could have falsified the incident in order to uh, avoid punishment from her mother and stepfather for which again is, is consistent with what we saw on the show for what was she pregnant in in reality too I'm getting there. Okay. Okay. Uh, so witnesses testify that Tawana had been beaten by her mother before for running away and for spending uh, nights with boys, and her stepfather Ralph King had a history of violence that included stabbing his first wife fourteen <gasps> times, which then escalated to him shooting and killing her. So the stepfather appears to have <sighs> some some violence issues. Appears, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I would say um, it appears. <laughs> I do. What about th- was yeah. that in his wedding vows? I promised not to stab Ooh. you like my last wife. Right, and then shoot and kill you. Oh Yikes. So
0: <laughs> so there was evidence that he would attack Tawana, and, or you know, there's evidence that would support Tawana's claim that she would uh, be, fearful, be afraid and, yeah. and uh, create this story to protect herself from her violent stepfather and tawana had actually been arrested uh the previous year and he for shoplifting and when he was picking her up from the police station he attempted to beat her so um, and he had also been described by witnesses as talking about Tawana in a sexualized manner. So there's something really not good with that family dynamic going on.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but again, they, didn't, they wouldn't really talk to folks, so it's sort of hard to know exactly what it was because we're going all from sort of witness testimony yeah. and some hearsay. Yeah. There were also claims by neighbors that Tawana's mother and stepfather were heard talking about the case and saying, like, they're going to find out the truth. They know we're lying. They're going to come get us. Again, it's neighbors claiming to have overheard this. Who knows? But supposedly in a New York Newsday article from April 1989, they claimed they published claims by a boyfriend of Tawana's named Daryl Rodriguez that she had told him that the story was uh, fabricated uh, with help from her mother in order to, uh, you know, prevent her stepfather from assaulting her. So in theory, the maybe she was pregnant, that I couldn't find... I didn't see any articles that said, like, she was pregnant. Right. But that the story of her potentially spending time with a boy or her boyfriend and maybe getting in trouble for that or, you know, having sex or whatever seems to be the explanation for... The allegation allegation that this was all uh, unfounded. Uh-huh. Okay. The courts did order her also to pay damages to Paginus for the defamation suit against him, where he was accused of being one of the assaulters. And the NPR article that I read from 2013 said that with interest, the judgment against her has now grown to almost a half million dollars. And at this time, or at the time of this article, which again was 2013, she was working in a nursing home and paying Paginus $627 a month. So essentially, she's going to be paying him for the rest of her life. Oh my god. And here's where it gets really like, well, I don't even know what to think anymore. In 1997, Tawana reasserted her claims that everything she said was true. And in 2008, her stepfather and mother still claim that the attack did happen and everything that they had said was true. In 2008? In 2008. Huh, yeah. Yeah. So there, there, her family is still maintaining the story that she was assaulted
1: by a group of white men, and one of them was a police officer. Do they still say that it was that one officer that um, won that libel suit against them, or that part is un- they don't say anything about that's. That? unclear Hmm, i'm not sure if they're still saying
0: it's him i I imagine that they probably are not since they lost a defamation lawsuit against him it would
1: seem unwise (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just think because they said that one was a police officer well i guess he's not a police officer never mind yeah he's a da
0: so when he did start getting the the payments from her paginus said it's a long time coming he said this to a newspaper and added that he is more interested in extracting a confession from her than he is cash and he said, every week she'll think of me, and every week she can think about how she has a way out. She can simply tell the truth. And that's the story of the Tawana Brawley rape allegations that is super uh, convoluted and complicated, and I, I'm i sure I'm not doing it justice. I think that there is, there is a... a a documentary or or a TV special about it that you can watch um, as well. And then it also kind of like showed up a few times in popular culture, like Spike Lee um, has a a video or sorry, a film where there's a shot of graffiti that says Tawana told the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, Both Tawana and Al Sharpton appeared in public enemies fight the power music video. Uh, There was this law and order episode. And then uh, in the TLC song, um, called His Story, Lisa Left Eye Lopez uh, references to Juana as well. Hmm. And then there's a Joyce Carol Oates 2015 novel about the Brawley case as well. So it's it's one of those ones that got tons and tons of national attention and from... Again, my read of the news, like I said, it was it was hard to find articles that presented things without a really strong opinion against Al Sharpton and against Tawana. And I I do think I I came across a few things more recently that indicate that like this case was one of the ones that kind of gave Al Sharpton a reputation for kind of being like more of a troublemaker rabble rouser than a a Uh, person who is pushing for social justice yeah and so i i don't know yeah i don't know the answer to all of what actually happened but it's definitely a case that is extremely complicated and here is my new thing that i thought we should do toward the end of the episodes which is rating on like a letter grade scale the law and order episode for like it, how good it was and then also how good of a job it did telling stories and not being super problematic
1: <laughs> oh okay that's fun okay so the so, first rating system would be how did we enjoy the episode from a uh like a viewer's perspective regardless sure, of the yeah. content and then the second one is like how would we grade them on on doing uh good work for the world <laughs> exactly okay interesting so and I think I
0: said that because I, of all the episodes we watched so far, I think this was my least favorite. I okay, yeah, uh, bottom two. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I would,
1: how, how would you rate the enjoyment of watching the episode? Okay, the enjoyment of watching the episode. Are we doing like A through F type situation with, Correct. with whatever whatever yeah, like want in the middle? Um, I'm gonna say I'll give it a C minus, uh, and I'll okay. tell you why. I'm gonna give it a okay. <laughs> I give it a C minus because I'm I'm more inclined to give it more towards an f but it was enjoyable in certain parts uh to see i enjoyed seeing this guest actors and i enjoyed uh some of the (laughs) one-liners that's about it you know i will
0: i'm gonna increase my rating a little bit i was gonna give it a d minus i'll give it a d plus and here's why (laughs) if you were watching the episode and you have like a small amount of awareness for the problematic ways that TV portrays certain things, Um, whether that's identity or these moments in history or, you know, sexual assault or whatever it is. If you have some amount of the fact that like if you're looking not only at the episode but also looking at what does it mean that this is the story that they're telling like if you also are looking at it on that level there are moments where the character that is supposed to be Al Sharpton says very incisive and truthful things about the justice system and so i think for people who approach anything any media with a, a like a sort of higher a more developed sense of media literacy you can extract those moments from it which have some like really good quality moments to them
1: that was very well said i agree i think that was very well said
0: as far as um problematic i'm gonna go back to my rating of a d minus oh yeah
1: for problematic i'm gonna give it like a an f honestly i'm gonna give it an all-out f yeah for f (laughs) this shit uh well good job recapping the episode thank you and good job with the true crime i um i wanted to do another recommendation real quick that i Ooh, didn't expect okay. um based on your story have you watched on netflix uh it's called unbelievable i don't think so okay it's really good i highly recommend it it's i think it's a one season deal i think like a mini series basically um it stars uh caitlin deaver it has tony collette and Merritt weaver they're like the main stars of it and it's a, it's, it tells two stories, essentially. It, it tells multiple stories of sexual assault and the varying ways in which it's dealt with by mm-hmm. victims and by law enforcement and the justice system. And hmm. it does it in a very, very, like, impactful way. Yeah, It also tells a very compelling story, and it's based on a true story. I didn't know this part. I just looked it up as we were um, talking. It's based on a true story. It's based on an article that was written in 2015, which now mm, that I'm okay. reading about it, I want to really, really read it, because the article is called An Unbelievable Story of Rape. It's Pulitzer Prize winning, mm-hmm. and it describes um, a series of rapes in Washington and Colorado that occurred between 2008 and 2011, and then the subsequent police investigations so if it's anything close to what happens in the show it I, I imagine that's a really compelling um read as well so that is my recommendation i highly highly recommend it if you want to see a, uh, a a better representation of what it's like for um a victim of
0: assault just a quick note on language um folks who are involved in trauma care for people who are sexually assaulted recommend using the fra- or the term survivor instead of victim oh okay yeah that sounds way Just better FYI, thank you thank you for that i wanted to recommend as you were saying that i realized i watched something differently something that re- kind of reminded me of this episode there is a netflix sh- uh, series called i may destroy you and oh. it stars michaela cole who is in She's She wrote and starred in this, and she also is the star or one of the stars of Black Earth Rising. She's been in an episode or two of Black Mirror, and she also wrote and starred in the Netflix special series Chewing Gum, which I don't know if you've seen. Oh, we talked about that. Yes, yes. Did we talk about Chewing Gum? Yeah. Yeah. Um, She is, like, she's just rapidly becoming one of my favorite actors. She is so captivating to watch. She's, like, really, truly... a a very charismatic actor and the story that she's telling is is one of her processing through and surviving sexual assault and so it's a very difficult show to watch but watching that process and and seeing that story told from the perspective of the survivor is really remarkable and so i highly highly recommend people watch that it's really really good yeah i've heard nothing but good things about it it's on hbo by the way yeah it's yes. Oh, what did I say? Uh Netflix. Netflix. Sorry. Yes. HBO. And I just, I want to see her in a million more things because I think she's really talented.
1: Well. Check us out. Yeah. Check us out on uh, social media. Yes. Ripped Headlines on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on uh, Rift from the Headlines. We have a Facebook page. You can email us at RippedHeadlinesPod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, rate, review, like us, oh, yeah. love us. Do that thing. All of yeah. those things. And... That's all I got, yeah. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.